Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. It is the month of January, and our book this month is Molly McGee's strange and surreal debut novel, Jonathan Abernathy, You Are Kind. Our protagonist is Jonathan Abernathy, whose life is completely subsumed by debt. He inherited debt from his parents. He has student loans. It's all very precarious. Rent is tricky. Food is scarce. So when a very bizarre and mysterious job opportunity arises, he can't exactly say no. The job is dream auditor, and the gig opens up a whole new world of both literal and symbolic misery. Dream auditors go into other people's dreams and remove the things that are making them anxious or depressed so that they can work more effectively the next day. This is one of those books where the absurd ends up perfectly illuminating reality. And that is all I am going to say for now, because I want this conversation with Molly to be spoiler free. Molly, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's an (laughs) honor to have you. So uh, I would love to talk about how you wrote the dreams themselves, because they're so surreal. I listened to the audiobook version of this, and especially that it was just like, like, you're just on such a wild ride, you know? I struggle myself with really intense insomnia. And when I do sleep, I have these really extreme, very vivid dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sort of exploring how dreaming works in the novel, I did a lot of research, but I also took um, some really intense cues from some of the fucked up dreams that I've had. Um, And I don't know about you guys, what your dreaming life is like, but throughout my promotion of this book, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people about dreams and their dreams specifically. And what I found is they're so personal, right? Mm -hmm. They're all, everybody dreams very differently. It's true. Well, I have always loved asking people specifically about work stress dreams Mm. because that is such a specific flavor and everybody's got them, but they're so different depending on the person. Absolutely. And you know, the things that bother us about work are so personal Mm. as well. So, um, you know, when I was writing this book, I was working at a science fiction company and that was really influencing my dreams because all day I was working in um, sort of like science fiction or horror or fantasy manuscripts that were causing me deep anxiety and then I would go to sleep and have these very 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 strange dreams that sort of mirrored the work that I was doing. Oh that sounds terrifying. It was a little scary. (laughs) I had a dream the other day where my computer just wouldn't connect to the internet. Oh, oh my it God. Was, it was so funny waking up from it because like it was so frustrating in the dream, but then waking up, it was like, what a benign 
stress, you know? But you know what? It's benign in retrospect because in the moment, the embarrassment, I'm sure, is like so visceral. And you're, I mean, here we are talking to each other based on our internet connection. True. So in retrospect, it sounds trivial, but I mean, that's how you get paid, girl. You know, like, that's kind of a big deal. You making money is important. Have you ever kept a dream journal? I've never kept a dream journal, but all of my fiction ideas come to me in dreams. So, really? Yes. So this novel, the idea of it came to me fully formed through a recurring dream that I kept having as an anxiety dream. Um, and when I find myself having a recurring dream like that, one that just sort of won't go away, yeah. that's when I begin a project. So I guess I don't have a dream journal, or if I did, it would be a very public dream journal because you guys get to book. yeah, you guys yeah. get to read about it when I write it down. <laughs> that's wild. So do you find then that like as you start making a project out of it, like do the dreams go away at that point or do they never quite They alleviate it's alleviated definitely. Like huh. um I don't have dreams about Jonathan or Rhoda or any of the characters in my in this book anymore um, and I've started to have a different dreams and so like those dreams are influencing the project I'm working on right now wow that's so cool it's really weird it's and, a weird brain um, it's really embarrassing to tell people my process because <laughs> it's like well you know it turns out um, I'm a witch <laughs> I just am really fucked up <laughs> <laughs> So this book, I mean, we talked a little about the dreams. Obviously, it's a wacky premise, but at its core, it's also about something very real that a lot of people, especially young people, are dealing with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How much did you research, like, you know, I think about especially student loan debt, but I mean, did you have to research the economic precarity of American existence these days, or are you just deeply familiar with it because you happen to exist in American capitalism in the year 2023? Mm. You know, this is a really interesting question. Um, I'm a very obsessive reader. And so when I am interested in a subject, I just sort of naturally want to read everything about it. Uh, so I did do a lot of like what other people would call research, I guess, <laughs> for this book. Um, but I don't know if at the time I thought of it as research. I just had a hmm. lot of questions. I was like, how the hell did we end up here? You know, like what are um, like, what's the overarching history of economics? Like, how do we even have such a concept as debt that's like so pervasive? Um, yeah. And why do we all agree on it? One of my favorite books that I read um, is Debt by David Graeber and mm -hmm. an epigraph uh, my epigraph is taken from that book. Hmm. What is it? Do you remember off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head. I don't. <laughs> it's summed up. It's basically like, and I'm not going to say it as great as Mr. Graber does. May he rest in peace. Uh, but it's essentially like you are part of the universe to such an extent that you will never be able to remove yourself from it in responsibility or in ideation. Mm. Now, what does that mean exactly? It means that everything is so interconnected and reliant upon each other 
that it's almost impossible to parse how we are separate um, beings whose actions um, are are individualized. Um, hmm. And so this, thinking about that concept, thinking about sort of the systems of money that we live within. He also has another quote that I think is really fabulous that essentially boils down to um, we make our own reality. So every element of reality is created um, by human agreement upon that uh, mm. reality. So like the only reason we have debt is because we all agree debt Everybody's exists. okay with it. Yes. Yeah. So those are some sort of really, really big concepts that I was synthesizing at the time. Um, and yes, I did have a lot of questions about it, so I read quite a bit. <laughs> but I would say Debt by David Graeber is one of my favorite favorite books that I used for my research. One of the books that I just kind of happened to read pretty close to reading this one was Poverty by America. Oh, I love by Matthew Desmond. I love Matthew Desmond. Evicted is one of my favorite works of um, anthropology probably ever done. Hmm. Well, it's so interesting because I think it's, I don't know, I think about as my, as not one, one of the one percent or whatever, I, I like to kind of exempt myself from being responsible for the way things are mm. in America. And I think it is really interesting to, you know, I think so much of poverty by America is like, no, actually we're all pretty complicit in this mm -hmm. because we, you know, we're all tolerating it. Yeah. We all agree to live within it. And so yeah. by our complicit agreement, we are actually directly responsible for the suffering of the society that we live in. That's yeah. such a big concept and it's such a maddening and deeply upsetting concept that I think it is it can be really hard to grapple with or face um, which you know is one of the reasons I wanted to write the book is because I wanted to think about these truths and what they mean without sort of falling into a hopelessness that you can sort of get into when you start looking at an abyss, right? Mm. Um, like, what does that, what does it mean to take that idea from theoretical abstraction and apply it to the logic of reality? Kind of hashtag deep, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also it plays so much into like the mythology of the American dream. Exactly. Which yeah. we all, you know, say we love so much, but I mean, you think about Jonathan and here he is, he's deep in debt. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He didn't finish college, but he still owes money for that. He's also doing his best, but it just like is not ever sufficient. Right. And you know, something about Jonathan as a main character is he's not always lovable. Um, there are often times where you kind of want to shake him, right? Where mm, you're like, yeah. oh, my God, how are you such a victim of your own life? Uh, and the answer is ignorance, <laughs> you know, and sure. not even malicious ignorance, but just, you know, sweet, well-intended yes. lack of resources and knowledge. He really is just figuring out how to be a person on his own. And when you think about it, that's what all of us are doing. Um, so I really wanted to sort of think about this problem, like while 
actually acknowledging some of the limitations that, you know, each of us face every day. Um, like, should dumbasses live a good life too? You know, like, <laughs> I think that they should. I think that no one deserves to sort of struggle as much as Abernathy deserves to struggle. But the question yeah. then becomes, like, is there any hope for people who maybe don't have the resources to receive, like, an extreme education to, like, become aware of these um, sort of elements of society and without feeling lost within their infinity. It's wild. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. And it's I wild. don't have an answer. Um, I don't. I don't I mean, have an answer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's all, it gets so complicated. I think too, I really loved in this book, the idea of dreams being characterized as like the next American frontier that mm. can be colonized. Yeah, that's our only private time, right? I mean, mm. we're increasingly becoming a, a society that does not value privacy um, and does not allow for privacy. Yeah. And so it would make sense that the next place that we would try to um, squeeze capital out of <laughs> is the most private thing you know, that one person can experience, which is their dreams, um, which are totally impossible to communicate effectively to other people. And I think that idea, that notion of of having a part of your life that's uncommunicable is very anti-American. I think Americans <laughs> like to think that we can, com if we try hard enough, we could communicate anything, yeah. um, which is, I don't think that's true necessarily. <laughs> mm, that's gorgeous. It's like the ineffable is what we should be prizing more. Or, you know, I think, I, I hate making generalizations. I know we've been making a lot of generalizations, sure. you know, in the last five minutes, but um, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I can find myself really impatient when I don't know things. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And yeah. just sit in that lack of knowledge takes a lot of focus, actually, to just accept not only do you not know, but you will probably never know. Um, and that's a kind of insanity, right? At least mm -hmm. within America where we proclaim that we know everything and we know the best ways to do things and that we're right all the time. And uh, there just isn't a lot of room in our sort of contemporary society for the inexplicable. Yeah. Well, I think too, I mean, the other thing that you're playing with in this novel is like the idea of freedom and choice and what that really means mm. if you don't have that many choices. And, but we still call that freedom. Exactly. It's, you know, I am so, I love Victorian novels. I'm such a nerd. I love Victorian <laughs> novels and I love novels that sort of grapple with really big questions like what is fate? What is destiny? What is free will? Like, can we um, have class mobility? Things, mm -hmm. questions of that nature. Um, or are you just doomed to rely upon luck to escape your circumstances. Right. And um, you can call those bootstraps. Or bootstraps whatever, you know. or whatever. Yeah, whatever we are using these days to describe that feeling. Um, you know, it's like interesting because I feel like when 
I talk about those sort of really big ideas with other folks, like a lot of the responses I get are like, we've solved that problem already. Like, Mm. you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. What does it matter if free will exists or not? And that's a good question, but it's still interesting to think about the level of personal responsibility each of us have in our lives and to what extent the tragedies that we are going to be complicit in are inevitable. Um, And this novel was sort of my way of exploring, you know, when things, when you have no resources and when the pattern of existence is very obvious for you, you know, and I think for a lot of um, people who are lower income, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up lower income and there was definitely an an intense feeling of inevitability to all of the sort of really bad things that were happening to me during that time. Um, Because it's like, of course, tragedy is going to happen. I don't have any money, you know? So it's like, well, I could go to the doctor now, but that would cost $300. So I guess I just have to wait until, you know what I mean? This thing is so bad that I have to choose between my health or my car or whatever. Um, And I really wanted to sort of explore what that like look like in modern context. Uh, another book that I really loved was I love the work of Isabel Wilkerson. Mm, um, yes. Her book Cast, I think, is one of the most important books to come out in the last twenty years. Well, yeah, because it speaks to that idea of the the myth of social mobility. It just. How you know, and we we put people who do manage to pull it off on pedestals, and then we say, no, these people did it. It's fine. Look, absolutely. And then we you know use those people to make other people feel guilty or lazy or like they're not working hard enough. Um, When in reality, usually the people who make it out of those circumstances have done so either through like extreme inhuman feats, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah. I think of um, uh, basketball players as like a good example of this. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that is such like it's so to be like most people who quote unquote like make it out are in some way quote unquote talented. Um, yeah, and that idea of talent like is just so it's so strange because it's like oh if you're talented enough you deserve to be alive and I just don't think that's true I think everyone deserves to be alive yeah yeah but maybe I'm being hyperbolic I don't know (laughs) I don't I don't know I mean it is it is interesting to think about this conversation within that context of like yes we are making a great number of generalizations but we are and yet and also however here we are you know Mm -hmm. it's hard sometimes to talk about this stuff because there's no data set that we can look to to like sort of uh, validate intrinsic intuitive feeling right like yeah we can just sort of feel like you know when you go to the grocery store and groceries are so much more expensive now than they were three years ago like the average person isn't going to have anything but intuition to go off of there you know what i mean right. yeah so it can be Intuition hard to talk and about. often lived experience. Yes, right? exactly, exactly. So it can be really hard to communicate, um, especially between class barriers, because 
that lived experience isn't um, everybody's experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we will be back with more of this conversation with Molly McGee. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So what's one of the weirdest jobs you've had to make ends meet? Oh, one of my first jobs um, was with my mom when I was like 14, 15. I was a, we were, I guess like the appropriate thing to say now is cleaning ladies. But at the time Ooh. we were, it's, we were just maids. Um, and we went into these very wealthy people's condos and cleaned them for them. I just saw so much crazy shit. <laughs> You see so much stuff when you're cleaning someone's house. Um, Another job I had that was really, really strange was I worked at a university that I was attending where I did some, like, what they call data maintenance on their alumni database. Oh, weird. But what it actually was was that when people who are alumni of that university would die, I would get a notification and then I would have to research them and decide whether keeping their information in the database was worth the storage cost after their death. Wow. Holy shit. I don't think it was explained to me in such explicit terms, right? Right. But that is effectively what I was um, doing. There are some really weird jobs out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I guess people die every day. So Yeah. Also true. And storage space is really expensive. And storage space is really expensive. And so the university hired me at like $12 an hour to decide whether it was a worthwhile investment to, you know, keep 20 years of data on someone or if they were statistically unlikely or their family was statistically unlikely to donate. Wow. Wow. Isn't that so crazy? (laughs) It's wild. So I think those are two of my most, or two of my weirdest jobs. Those are weird jobs. Um, So there's a line in the book that talks about success. It goes, what does it mean to be successful? People ask themselves this question to the point of obsession. They believe it is their mission in life to succeed as if life is something to be climbed on top of and bested, Mm. which is gorgeous and real. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you mentioned the book has been out for a couple months now. You've done a number of interviews about it. Um, you talked about how you've got another project going. What does success look like for you these days? You know, when I started writing this book, a lot of these questions were coming to me um, because my mom passed away, actually. Mm. And I found myself, I know it's really tough, you know, but she passed away in 2020. Mm. Um, so a lot of things were going on in the world, right? Like, it was a yeah. rough time for all of us. Um, and I found myself really regretting how much time I had spent in the pursuit of publishing a novel, um, which was at that point 
I think like 10 years, right? And how mm. much distance that had created between my mother and I. I'm from rural Tennessee and I moved away to sort of pursue this like hope of being a novelist. Yeah. And it was only after my mom passed that I sort of had that classic understanding that you hear a lot of people having when, um, you know, a, a really close loved one passes away for the first mm-hmm. time, which is like, oh, my God, I wish I would have spent more time with them. And this sort of, um, like, desire for me, like, of, ha- of really regretting, um, you know, before I wrote this novel, I wrote another novel, and I couldn't get it published, and I found out that it wouldn't be, you know, that it was rejected right when my mom passed away. So I was, like, <sighs> experiencing a lot of things on um, top of one another while I was writing uh, Jonathan. And so it's created this sort of funny reality where by the time I did get my wish, right, of publishing a novel, it was at such a great emotional expense. Mm. And I actually find myself at this point, like, um, really trying to value the time I spend with my loved ones more than you know, my um, career, et cetera. But it's tough because you have to figure out a way to balance making money and like spending time with people. And, you know, where can your obsessions, I'm very obsessed with writing. It's almost Mm -hmm. compulsive for me. Like how can your, how can you honor your obsessions while also honoring the people in your life and your responsibilities to them? It's all very complicated. So I think for me, success looks like a place where I can love the people I love fully and I can be brave enough to be um, present so that they can love me. Mm. That's gorgeous, Molly. Oh, (laughs) we're writers, you know. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to be alive. (laughs) It's really hard. I keep thinking about the word ease when I think about success these days. Yes. Yeah, like just... I aspire to trust the world. You know what I mean? Mm, like I aspire yeah. to reach a point where not necessarily a calmness, but um, an acceptance that the world is mad, that our lives make no sense, that the duties we have to fulfill every day are not intuitive um, <laughs> and find joy in that and humor yeah. instead yeah. of finding... And beauty, exactly. Instead of finding anxiety, despair, hopelessness, um, stress at the unknowability of it. Um, But for me, that has been a really intense process. And I don't know if I'll ever get to that point, but I guess what I would call success is if I could reach a point where I feel at ease enough to exist with the people who I love. I love that. I think it's great. I think it's something we could all aspire to do more of. I ho- I mean, one day, <laughs> if I figure it out, guys, I'm going to let you know how. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give us a call. Come on back. I'll, I'll be like, guys, I finally I figured Yo. out how to be alive sustainably. <laughs> <laughs> well, Molly, thank you so much for coming on the show. This really was such a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for chatting with me. 
your brain is like exquisitely weird and I really love it. It is a very weird play. I have heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this one. Isn't she just amazing? So you know the drill. We would love for you to read along with us and tell us what you think. We will be back on the last Tuesday of the month to talk about what we thought about this book. We will have many spoilers to take part in that conversation. You can record a voice memo and email that file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Your deadline for that. We are taping the conversation on Friday, January 26th. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago. We are part of the NPR network and our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.